Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salts of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. You don't want to make me seated. So this whole text is... Uh about a Christian's relationship to the culture. And uh, here's sort of the landscape of that conversation. Uh, Sort of the two typical uh, approaches to a Christian's relationship to the culture is on the one hand, uh, Christians have sort of uh, typically had a withdrawal uh, mentality. And there's really a liberal and a conservative version of that. the liberal uh, version of that would be uh, a community that's so adapted to the culture, that's so taken on the values of the culture, that the question is like, what, what, what is there to even change in the culture? Why would we even do anything about this? And the conservative version of that would be a community that just uh, is afraid of the culture, uh, is, is worried about what's happening in the culture, and so believes that all the church should be doing is just evangelizing and discipling and keeping to itself. But on the other hand, uh, the other mentality that Christians uh, have been drawn to is not just a withdrawal method, but a triumphalistic method, or excuse me, mentality. And, and there's really a liberal and conservative version of that. I mean, the, the, the liberal uh, triumphalistic mentality is, is sort of a socialistic, almost Marxism approach, where uh, the job of the church, what Christians ought to be doing is uh, filling the economic gaps or social gaps and flipping all of those uh, in society. And the conservative version of that is, is that Christians ought to be uh, getting power, uh, getting in places they can get power and influence in the culture and make the culture as Christian as possible. Now, there's a lot there, um, but D.A. Carson in Chicago, uh, James Hunter at Virginia, and um, Miroslav Volv at Yale are, are some of the leading Christian sociologists and have uh, really kind of come to a consensus to sort of suggest none of those approaches are what Jesus is really talking about in this passage. That, that none of those are really uh, what, what the Bible is after in terms of what we should do. And, and what they talk about is that a Christian's relationship with the culture ought to be about not uh, withdrawing from it or trying to take it over, but engaging in it. And in fact, James Hunter uses a word that I love. He says, uh, we ought to have a faithful presence in the, in the midst of the culture. Now, 
any time that you talk about influencing and engaging the culture as a Christian, uh, almost immediately, especially in 2021, you have to address the idea that people around you, um, or even maybe in here, think it's fine to believe these things, but we should never impose our beliefs on other people. I, I remember um, one time I was at an information fair on a college campus. We were just handing out information like every other club uh, on the campus, and uh, a student I was talking to uh, just said, you know, it, it's totally fine, I think, for you to believe this, but I don't think that you should be imposing your beliefs on anyone on this campus. And I, and I just asked him, I was like, well, aren't, aren't you doing that to me right now? Um, he never came back to uh, RUF. But, you know, when Jesus says, um, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, notice he, he does not say, go be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says, you are. And what that student didn't understand and what Jesus is trying to highlight is that you do have a relationship with a culture. It is an unavoidable reality. And so what ought to mark it? He says there's three things in there that should mark it that I think kind of give us that faithful presence and will help us engage the culture. It's that your relationship that's inevitable should be marked by salt, light, and hope. So simply in the text, salt, light, and hope. First, salt, look at he says in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon people's feet. Now, when it says you are the salt of the earth, it's a plural, as in you all are the salt of the earth. So it's a community aspect. And salt in this culture was not... Um, not for flavor. It, it didn't have a function of seasoning. It was a preservative. So if you went to the market and you uh, bought some meat, you would often uh, buy salt with it because there were no refrigerators or freezers to take it home and put it in. So what it, you would do is apply the salt on the meat and it would prevent the meat from a quick, rapid decay and mold. And what Jesus is saying a community of Christians is to be in the, in the midst of the culture and the world is a group of people that slow down the decay and destruction and mold of this world. Um, I don't get to do it often, uh, but uh, whenever I, somebody takes me fly fishing, it's one of the most fun things uh, I've been able to do in this world. And uh, the two fish that I've fished for are commonly trout, but uh, I, somebody once took me to fish for a salmon. And we, when you fish for trout, the way you do is they swim down the stream, and so you find a place in the midst of the creek or the river, and you find the current, and you throw your fly in and watch it kind of go down with the stream, and hopefully a trout will rise and, and hit it. But a salmon is the exact opposite. You have to fish for a salmon in the direct opposite way because a salmon doesn't swim down the current. It swims against the current. And the reason it's swimming against the current is it's trying to get back to the place uh, that it was born. It was trying to get back to its original place to spawn and make life. So what a salmon does is it swims against the current in order to get back to a place to create life. 
What Jesus says a community of Christians is to be are people who swim against the current of the culture. Why? To be able to create and preserve life in this world. Paul says in um, Romans 8, there's a place that he says, look, the entire creation is subject to futility. And what he means is he says, look, the curse of death from Genesis 3 has not just touched us physically. It has touched us socially. It has touched us culturally. It's touched every aspect so that death has this inward curveness to it and is, is polluting every part of life around us and turning it more and more in with the values of the culture around us. And what Christians are meant to do is swim against that death and preserve it more and more. And we do that by being distinct. That's what he says um, in the second part of the verse. If it loses its saltiness, how shall it be restored? So, I mean, let's consider this illustration of saltiness. Um, I mean, have, none of you have ever been uh, like, hey, you, have you been to that restaurant by the pier? The salt there is incredible. You have to go there. I mean, nobody ever says that. Salt it is meant to be a subtle thing to us. It, it, it's meant to help, but never be highlighted. Never be, never, it's meant to stand out, but not in such a, a, a stark way. And the point is, is that being distinct is not meant to be an obnoxious distinction. It, it, it's not meant to be a, a loud in your face, annoying distinction, but it is meant to be distinct. And the distinction really is is meant to be marked by the way that you are distinct, by finding the values in and around this world that mark it and not letting mark the community that you're a part of. Christian Smith, uh, the the Christian philosopher, um, he says, think about your culture this way. He says, imagine a table with a tablecloth on it with some cups underneath it. He says, if you put the tablecloth on it, it will not have a perfect sort of meeting of the table. Wherever the cups are, it will stand out and be distinct. And he says, what, what sin and destruction or death has done to culture is it's made cups stand out underneath the tablecloth in different ways. And he says, one of the things that Christians have got to do is understand where in their culture the cups are standing up and keeping the tablecloth from meeting the table. And in Los Angeles, I'll tell you where it does this, is in a really obvious way, the values that mark this city are just money, sex, and power. Those are the things that that really stand out and mark what it's like to do life here. And so the question is, Are you aware of the values of how people treat those things in your community here here by the beach? How do people treat money, sex, and power that you do life with, and are you just like them? Or is is there anything distinct about the way that you treat money? Is there anything distinct about the way that you approach power? Is there anything distinct about the way that you approach sex? Because what a group of Christians is meant to do 
is to treat things like money, sex, and power in the culture around them and swim upstream against them and have a different approach to those things. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. But secondly, he says, you are the light of the world. See, it would be very easy to hear Jesus' teaching on being the salt of the earth and think the best way to apply this is just for us all to move way out to Bakersfield, create an internal community, and preserve the values of the kingdom of God that way. But he says, along with being the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And this is an amazing statement by Jesus in verse 14 when he says this, because there's other places where Jesus says that he is the light of the world. In fact, in John 8, he says it twice. But here he is saying that you are to be the light of the world. And he's indicating that a a, a community of Christians ought to be people who reflect what Jesus is about. And what is he about? He's about healing and redeeming broken things in this world. He brings hope and healing into dark places. This is the point of light. This is why he says in verse 14 that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. The point of light is for it to shine in darkness. Now, again, let's think about this illustration here. Because uh, light, when is it helpful? It's helpful for dark places on dark paths, but it's not helpful on the dark path if somebody shines it right in your face, if somebody sticks it right up into your eyes and holds it up there. And that, that's not helpful. That's blinding. But the light also can't be so far off that it in no way impacts and helps you see where you're walking. There, there is a, a, a wisdom to being the light where it is helpful but not obnoxious. And it is near and not far off, far off away that it, you can't even use it. Jack Hayford, he said that this way so well. He said, the call of church has never been to be political analysts. We're called to be cultural catalysts who will act as salt and light. But there are dangers. Salt, if you use it too much, becomes embittering. If you sprinkle it, it flavors. Light is annoying if it glares in your face. In fact, you try to push it away. But if you let the warm glow of the light show, people will come to it. I don't think Jesus called us to rub salt in the world's wounds or to glare a light, excuse me, or to glare the light a foot from their eyes with a million candlelight spotlight. He called us to be a warm glow of his love and the flavoring quality of his nature. God has not called me to be morally indignant. He's called me to be spiritually vibrant. See, the, the light... What it is, it it is meant to be a redeeming, hopeful way of living life that stands out and repairs the broken things around us in the world. Now, one of the uh, controversies about being the light that people have not liked and found frustrating is that it sometimes feels like the way to be light is only a, a political agenda that we only get involved in these things 
on one side of the conversation. But do, do you know what Christians were known for in the first century? They were really known for seven things. Listen to these. One, a strong concern for the poor that made them radically generous. They looked at the, the, the struggling people around them and sought to do something about it and to care for them. Two, they practiced non-retaliation and forgiveness and were basically almost anti-war. Three, they empowered women to places of community equality and significance. Four, they had a deep concern for the equality of races. Now, some people begin to hear these and think, ah, they were a bunch of liberal, progressive people. That's how they brought light into the culture. And that can, when we hear people do this today, it begins to frustrate us to think that this is just a way for us to get power. This is not what the Bible is about. But listen, five, they were anti-abortion. They were anti-getting rid of babies. People commonly threw children just in the garbage. If it was not a male and didn't continue the name, they would often just get rid of them. Six, they believed sex was only for your spouse. There were, there were, there were temples throughout many of these cities where prostitutions were readily available. And one of the common practices of Christians is how they would never participate in that. And they began to believe that sex was actually sacred only for your significant other. Seven, they believe that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God in the midst of a pluralistic society. All of those values are like what we would call incredibly conservative. See, what Christians were known for in bringing light into the world, it was not liberal, it was not conservative, it was completely off the map. It was everything. They sought to look at everything that was broken in and around them and say, how can we be the warm glow of Jesus' light in this, a dark path in this world? John Tyson, in his book, A Creative Minority, he says that the simple um, redemptive participation is what Christians ought to be about. He says, we do not hate the world, We're not, nor are we protesting it, we're participating in it with the vision of the way of Jesus. And you know, what Jesus says in verse 16 is so helpful here. He says that when they see you do this, when, when the world will see you participate in a redemptive way, he says, they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. And that, that has always been so profound to me. That in a, the Bible has a high view of preaching and tells us we ought to commonly share our faith and speak to others in conversation about Christ. But here he says, it's what you do will lead people to see that he is in the light of the world. And you, you know, there are so many conversations about this today that sociologically, the way people outside of the church will come to faith is, is not seeing that it's true and then later on finding it is beautiful. 
But actually, they're saying the the way to reach your neighbors and, and to embody Christianity and to talk to them about it is to show them that it is beautiful. And then they have to say, this is so beautiful, it has to be true. I know a minister um, who told a story uh, about somebody in his church coming to him uh, and saying, I want to tell you how I decided uh, to come to your church. He said, okay. She said, I've always disliked Christianity and I've always disliked Christians. But at work, uh, something incredible happened to me. She said, I made a really big mistake in my job, and I could have lost it, but my boss took the blame for me, and he absorbed it. And so I went to him, and I said, why did you do this? Why did did you take uh, the blame for this? She said, I've had tons of bosses who took credit for my work. I've never had a boss who took the blame for my work. And he, and he said, well, you're, you're a great employee. We love having you around. You're a great part of this community. So, um, you know, I, I've got a really secure job. And so for me, it was just kind of a rebuke, a slap on the wrist. But, you know, I, I didn't want you to lose your job. And, and she said, no, 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 no. Like, why did you do this? And he sort of kind of kept saying, you know, well, like, I just love your presence. You're a great part of this team. And she said, no, why in the world did you do this? And he said, okay, do you really want to know? He said, here's why I did this. Because I go to a church that talks every week about how Jesus laid his life down for us and took the blame and punishment where only we should be. And that message is so impactful for us that we're called to go and live our life that way. And she said, like, well, what kind of a church is this? <laughs> he said, one that is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. She said, that's why I'm here today. See, to be the light of the world means to go live out the gospel, not just talk about it, to go live it out in the dark, broken places that exist around your world. And Jesus says, you are to not withdraw, not to just take over, but to engage the culture by being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, but thirdly, to do it with hope. This is what he says in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He says, listen, when you go be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you absolutely are going to be persecuted for this. This is... uh, not going to be a surprise. And it, as, the, as the church has tried to reflect in Jesus and engage the culture, it, it's just amazing to me 
how continually we have this woe is us mentality. Like we can't believe people have different values than the church. Like it's utterly shocking that there is, you know, a a curriculum agenda that's in contrary to the Christian worldview. Jesus is, is, is telling us right here. He says, you're going to be this, and they're going to hate you for this. But, but when he says, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, he's trying to protect us for, well, from, for two, from two things here. He's trying to protect us from a victim mentality on the one hand that allows us just to mope around and try to gain power by being a victim. But he's also saying, look, this persecution, it's for righteousness sake. As in, if they persecute you because you're an idiot or you're a fool, don't come crying to me. Don't come acting like, Jesus, you're not going to believe how much they didn't like me standing outside of the USC game throwing pamphlets at people. No, 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 no. He says, as you are embodying the kingdom of God, as you are faithfully living this out in the life of the culture around you, and you are standing up for the kingdom, when darkness is threatening, he says, they will reject it, and they will persecute you. So what do you do? Well, the way to have influence and to have light is only through hope. Rodney Stark, in his um, incredible book, uh, The Rise of Christianity, where he talks about uh, how Christians were this uh, obscure, like, impoverished, strange minority in the first century. And he says, this has literally never happened anywhere else in the the history of the world, where such an obscure, small minority of people went from this part of the culture to literally three centuries later running the Roman Empire. And he notes in his book, he says, look, they didn't go from this to this by going after power and exploiting people and take advantage of the weak in the ways that every other culture has done this in its rise. He said they actually did it through service and giving their life away. And he he, he asks the question, why were they able to do this? Why were Christians able to do this? They were able to do it because they had a deep, empowered hope in the coming of heaven. See, why can you give your life away? Why can you be salt? Why can you be the light of the world when darkness is threatening to take away your job, your social status, or whatever else? It's only if you have the great hope of heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he notes in his sermon on this, he says, look, the, the type of persecution that you get doesn't really matter. That's not Jesus' point here. His point is what you do with the persecution. And if, if you have an incredible hope of heaven, that will shine lighter in the midst 
of persecution than anything else you can do. Because if you have a hope of heaven, here's what it means. You will not go after the power that's being taken away from you. You will not go after the influence that's being removed from you when darkness comes upon your situation. But you will realize restoration one day is coming, but not in this life. And it will give you an incredible, humble humility to be salt and light in every situation you can be in. If you, if you know that the things that you're going through are only the title and cover page, and one day the great story is coming. See, the way you have to engage culture I mean, it's just the way that C.S. Lewis ends the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you remember this? Every time I read it, it gives me goosebumps. It's the very end of the entire story when they think everybody is dead and they've lost everything. And Lewis concludes the entire series this way. All of their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Look, this life is only the title and cover page. And so every single time that you are in something with your children, or you're in something at work, and the values of this feudal world that is turning in on itself come shoved in your face. Rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. And it will come faster than you and I can count. And do you know why you can rejoice? Because there's somebody who couldn't See, this word reward is a tricky word because it doesn't mean something you earn. It means something you're given. See, Jesus, when he was on the cross, being the light of the world to all of us, as he died, darkness came over the whole world. Because in that moment, when he's being the light of the world for us, he was not able to rejoice in heaven, because he was descending into hell. Do you know what, why you can rejoice and know for sure that this is only the title of the cover page and the great story is coming is because on the cross, Jesus was abandoned so that you can know when you are persecuted, when all of those revile against you and they go after your reputation, God will never abandon you. And you will never, ever, ever lose your reward for great as those in heaven. And Jesus says this morning, follow me. Engage with me. And have a faithful presence here in the South Bay. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us to hold on when it feels like it's falling apart. Lord, there are so many uh, moments 
where it feels like the culture is winning in such a way that if we don't do something urgent and drastic and take it back, we'll be, we will be living in an unlivable world. Yet there could not have been a darker moment for that worry than you on the cross. Lord, help us not to be a people who go after power, but a people who live by hope, rejoicing that our reward is in heaven. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.